welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So two weeks ago, I was not here. Three weeks ago, uh, my friend Paul spoke on Sinai and this, this radical, totally radical idea of God being present with the people. A uh, very, very new idea on the landscape of history at that time. Um, so the law is given, and the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all talk about basically the people getting the law, moving into the land. What does it mean to be God's people? Very drawn out, explicit um, descriptions. If, if any of you are following along in the Eat This Book reading plan, you're, you were just in Leviticus. That was, a uh, you know, like you just got to keep going, just keep going, keep going. Because uh, it gets, I mean, it's like you know, do this with the goats and do this with the bulls and the animals and the doves and everything. It's sacrifices for all kinds of things. So, but what does it mean to be God's people, right? You have to remember that in this time frame, this is um, a lot of the things that we would read and go, that's really just bizarre, would have set the people apart from the other ancient Near Eastern cultures around them. And so that's a lot of what's going on, is the setting apart of the Israelites to be God's people in the world. So that's Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then, of course, we got to the book of Joshua. And Joshua is about, really, the the entering of the land. So God says to Moses or Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing. I'm going to give you this land. So it's, it's certainly seed, you know, like you'll be a great nation, but then land. And Joshua is the beginning of the promise of land being fulfilled. And so last week... We, we really kind of like jumped in the deep end of the pool if you were here for last week because Joshua is a difficult book. Uh, the topic, uh, uh, um, a difficult, difficult text to really wrestle with, um, keeping mind of um, little ears in the room. So uh, the, the, uh, uh, are the lights going out? Oh, Hadley, hi, how's it going? You can turn those on, sweetheart. <laughs> That's a family affair, everybody. So, okay, last night... Uh, <laughs> Last night, I got a call from Toph. He's like, I'm like half dead here. I can't come tomorrow. Uh, it was actually really, really bad. Not funny. Uh, so I won't be there. And then like an hour later, he got a text. And uh, our, the person who was supposed to run sound this morning, oh, my wife and I are puking. We can't come. And then our bass player texted Tim last night. I'm throwing up. I think I'm going to be there. I think I'll be able to be there in the morning, though. But right now, currently, as I write this, I'm not. I'm throwing up. And uh, our, the person who was supposed to do lights, it's been crazy. So... Hadley's back there hanging out on the lights, rocking it. <clears throat> Rock solid, babe. <clears throat> like, I can't see the board anymore. I got new glasses, but I don't think that was part of the deal. Uh, so Joshua is, the, is entering the land, and then we get to the book of Judges. And Judges is really about the people are now in the land and kind of what's going on. So that's where we are in the story. Um, just for a, a recap uh, or, or sort of an overview of the book of Judges, um, is essentially, uh, there are, there's 12 different judges in the book, uh, depending on how you count. Some people count Eli and Samuel kind of at the end, and then one kind of bizarre character thrown in the middle, to which you might have heard 15. By most people's counts, it's 12 judges in the book of Judges. Uh, and, and the common verse that really kind of rises out of this text and out of this book is this one that the, and, and Israel did what was right, or did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, or they did what was right in their own eyes. And you hear this over and over and over and over again. If you've read the book, uh, it's actually quite, kind of like, oh, I, I think I've heard that before. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, there it is again, and there it is again, and there it is again. It's like half a dozen, seven times. It's just all over the place. Um, it includes the stories of, uh, you may have heard, uh, Gideon, right? Gideon is the guy who uh, sets out the fleece. If you've ever heard that phrase before, I'm going to throw out a fleece or I'm going to put out a fleece. This is where that comes from. The story goes that Gideon, you know, God says, go and attack the Midianites. And uh, 
Gideon's like, I'm not really sure if God's in this or not, so let me just throw out a little test there. He puts out this fleece and says, God, if there's no dew on the fleece then, and there's dew around, then, I'll, then I know you're here. I know you're in it. So sure enough, that's what happens. And then Gideon like charges. Actually, no. He says, you know, I, 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 let me just test it one more time, one more time. So how about this time, God? If there's dew on the fleece but not on the ground, then I'll know you're in this, right? We never do this, test God like this. You know, like, God, if you do this, then I know you're here. Um, it's an old story. So this is uh, the story of Gideon. And then, and then God sort of pairs down his army to like 100, 100 mighty men at the end, and then he goes and takes like this whole Midianite army. It's pretty, pretty wild. Uh, the story of Samson, of course, you've heard this story. You know, he never cuts his hair. He's got this crazy massive strength. Uh, I mean, if, you've never, if, if you think the Bible's boring, you're not reading the right stories. The story of Samson is bonkers. It's crazy. He kills like 1,000 people with the jawbone of a donkey, right? Um, all kinds of, uh, he ties the, like, uh, a thousand foxes' tails together or something like that, and all these people are running, these foxes are running around. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy, but the story of Samsonite, Na- if you don't know, it's a Nazarite vow, by the way. You don't cut your hair, abstain from all, everything, everything from grapes, even raisins, like alcohol, certainly, but everything. So you abstain from all these things, and, and this is the secret to his strength. Uh, if you didn't know, there's a story about a woman named Deborah, uh, she's actually one of the judges of Israel. Fantastic, fantastic story of, of like a woman in leadership who speaks on behalf of God, for God, to the people, leads the military. I mean, this chick is legit. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty sweet story. Now, instead of kind of like honing in on one of these stories in the book of Judges, as I was reading and kind of getting ready for this this week, I thought, what is there, if you were to step back and look at Judges as a whole, is there anything that just kind of like, you know, kind of like the phone over here, is there anything that just comes out from it? And, uh, and, and I think there is. And so instead of focusing on one story, we're going to look at the whole thing. But I want to read a couple of passages from Judges to kind of get the flavor. If you've read one of the Judges, and especially at the beginning of the book, you've kind of read them all because it's the same story over and over and over again. So let's go ahead and, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 2. We're going to look at verse, uh, starting in verse 11. It says this, uh, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped the various gods and peoples around them, and they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. Uh, skip down to verse 18. It says, when, Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies. As long as the judge lived, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. Uh, verse 19, but then when the judge died, the people returned to, the, returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. And then flip to chapter 6. And this is a, a little bit longer of a, of a text here, but um, kind of just tells the story of the judges in one fell swoop. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded their country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. They didn't spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It's impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors, and I drove them out before you and gave you their, gave you their land. 
I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you have not listened to me. Pray with me if you would as we jump in here. God, I ask that as uh, we study your scripture, as we study this text, that you would take uh, the, the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips, God, and that they would please you. I pray that you would speak to us things that we need to hear um, and that you might encourage us to be the kind of people that you've called us to be in the world. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so um, it last, last week was pretty heavy lifting if you were here with the book of Joshua and the topic there. And this one, I, I would say, um, is just some really, really simple truths that I think rise up out of this story of the judges. And, and it's, again, we've heard this one, uh, and we read it a number of times. It's like uh, the people, essentially, uh, God delivers them, and they have peace in the land for a while, and then they kind of do their own thing for a while. If, if, if this was Genesis 4 to 11, where we have humanity going their own way, now it's like the people in the land going their own way over and over and over again. So they do their own thing, and they cry out, and then God, God delivers them, and then it's the same cycle over and over and over again. Um, but there are some things that are, I think, just human about this story that I want to highlight. The first one is this. I would say, say it this way, that God always hears a cry. God always hears a cry. We see this in the story of the judges, and I think we see it in the scriptures elsewhere. If you didn't know, in, in, uh, in the biblical text, when something is talked about first, like the first place that it shows up, this is often really, really important. Um, sometimes you'll get something that shows up first, and then it plays a role throughout the rest of the story, and what it meant first and the implications that it had first often talk about or, or play into and kind of... Um, color how it's used later on in the story. So the first time we hear a cry in the scriptures is Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. You've probably heard this one. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Of course, we, the famous phrase, I am not my brother's keeper. Cain says, uh, where is your, or Lord says, where is your brother Abel? Abel says, or Cain says, I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's people? And then the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. So this is the first instance of a cry that we hear in the scriptures. And it's interesting that the first, this, this story, uh, you have a victim of an unjust crime. Like uh, Cain kills Abel. Abel has no voice in the story. If you've ever noticed, when you read the story of Cain and Abel, he, he, he doesn't speak, he has no voice, and then as it's talked about later in the scriptures, he doesn't have a voice there either. So the first cry of, of, uh, in the scriptures is this kind of victim of, of an unjust thing. He's killed by his brother, and God says that uh, his blood cries out from the ground. And then we hear the cry of the Israelites in Exodus chapter 2. Sorry, that's the wrong one. Exodus chapter 2, verse... 23 says this, during that long period, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned in slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. By the way, this idea of a cry, uh, so if God hears a cry, but the idea of, of a, a group of people crying out to God and God listening to them and hearing them, if you were to back up two, 3,000 years ago and find this in its original context when it was first written, the idea of God, or the gods as they were often written about, the idea of God actually hearing and listening to and then responding to a group of people is completely crazy. It's, it's like, on the landscape of ancient Near Eastern literature. 
So the fact that these people, God's people, cry out to God and God hears them is completely foreign. Typically, it's the gods are off like doing whatever it is that they do and whenever they need something from the humans whom they've created only to, to be like slave labor, uh, then they sort of listen or they, make them, they get them to do something. So the idea of God being responsive to the humans that God created is totally crazy, really, really foreign idea. But let's talk a little bit about crying. Um, what is it to cry out? Like, if you were to try to define it, and I actually did some work for you. I went to, uh, on the Googles and Webster, Merriam-Webster, whatever. Do we have that, by the way, the uh, uh, definition? No? Oh, there it is, there it is. Okay, so to cry out is to scream or shout aloud, especially in pain or terror. Um, this is what happens like when we've reached the end of something or when we've reached the end of ourselves. Like when I can't fix it, I can't make it, I can't make it better, I can't uh, uh, you know, figure out how to, how to fix it, then uh, like I sort of move outside of myself or I begin to ask for help. Uh, you guys have ever, have you ever been around a youngster um, when something like this might happen? My oldest, Hadley, how you doing, bud? Um, when she was young, she, she still is just really, really, really tenacious, like go-get-em kind of gal. And uh, when I would, I would find her, like, working on something, and when I told the story earlier, her little sister was here, and she's like, yeah, kind of like when she works on math. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, but when she's, like, she would struggle with something and, like, could, just couldn't, like, get it, and, and so I, as dad, I'm kind of watching from, from, you know, nearby, and so I come on over and say, hey, sweetie, how you doing? Can I help? No, I can... I can do it myself. Thank you, right? I can do it myself. We've ever heard kids say this. I can do it myself. And so as the loving father that I am and that I was, I, you know, said, oh, honey, I can help you. And I moved her over and fixed whatever it was. No. No. I'm not that bad of a dad. Come on, guys. When your child says, I can do it myself, what do you do? Unless, like, their life is in danger or something and, you know, they don't know it. You stand back and you let them figure it out, right? When we say, I can do it myself, I want to suggest that God does the same thing. When we say, I can do it myself, God lets us do it ourselves, And lets us, un- until we do what? I can't do it, help, right? You know, whatever it is, it's broken, it's, I can't fix it. Okay, and I would move in and, you know, only at that point though. I want to suggest that God may not be very different than that. And, and if in fact, and for me, and we've, I've talked about this a little bit uh, at Awaken, the idea of free will is really, really important in how I understand the Bible and, and us and how this all works out. So the idea that I have a choice and that that choice is truly, actually really a choice and not sort of something that's faked or that I'm convinced to think is a choice but isn't actually really a choice, right? Have you heard that? I always love, you know, like getting those folks in a corner. (laughs) Be like, so it's not... No, like if it really is truly a choice and I have a choice in the matter, then when I say I want to do it myself, I think God honors that and steps back and lets us do it ourselves. And I think that the story of Judges is this over and over and over and over again. But the beautiful thing about this and what I want to sort of highlight is that when when Hadley says, I can't do it, what what, what does a loving father or a loving mother do? They engage, right? They get down and they they get in it with them. And I want to say that this is exactly a cry. When we cry out, when, when when we have to go beyond ourselves and we say, I can't do it, that this is, this is exactly the invitation that God is waiting for, but I would suggest needs to engage. 
Because if, in fact, we have free will, and if, in fact, there is true choice, then for God to feign that or to fake that and say, actually, I'm just going to engage when I want to engage and when I need to, I think that violates relationship. And so I think that God needs and wants, but needs us to say, I can't do it. I need help. And the unbel- I think the beautiful thing of this story is that when we cry out, when we get beyond that spot of, I have to go outside of myself to fix this, to do it, to put it together, to f- make it happen, the story of the scriptures is over and over and over again, God hears the cry. Over and over and over. In the story of Judges and elsewhere. Um, not only does God hear the cry, but I think that, and we see this in the story of Judges, that our choices actually matter. Um, now, I recognize that this one in particular, this topic or this idea, is a, can, can get a little dicey when it comes to religious communities and church and that kind of thing. When we start talking about our choices matter, then we start talking about sin, and we start talking about you should do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. Uh, and it's black and white, and it's in and, and it's out. And I don't know, I, I'm not going to put any of this on you, but I come from a tradition, or my experience growing up was pretty, um, pretty conservative and, and borderline fundamentalist at times. And so there was great concern about the fact that our choices matter. And it was like there's sin and there is obedience. There is right and there is wrong. There is this and there is that. And it was like you're in or you're out. And to be in, you do these things. And when you do these things, you're out. Are you tracking it all? And here's what I want to say. I don't, I, 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 I think often I shy away from this because I don't want people to be like knee-jerk reaction, like, oh my gosh, not again, here we go. Because I think many of us have been just badgered and beaten up and had really bad experiences with that. But gang, as your pastor, I would be a bad pastor if I didn't say, the scriptures tell the story over and over and over and over again that there are ways in which we live that bring life and there are ways in which we live that bring death. It's just that simple. And I think that the things that are connected to that which give life are, in, are, are connected to God's intent for how we were supposed to do this. And the things that bring death are connected to the, like going the other way, right? You can go your own way. You guys remember that? For those that weren't here, check the podcast. There are things that we can do and choices that we can make that lead this way, and there are things that we can do and choices that we can make that lead this way. Just this last week, Toff and I were talking, and we were talking about, he had a conversation with somebody who was in leadership at Awaken, and they are like, I mean, that kind of behavior, that's not okay, is it? And uh, I said, well, no, it's not. But Toff, what if we, what if we asked the question differently? What if we framed the question differently? What if we, were, what if we led in such a way that we were, we were encouraging people to ask the question, does that choice lead to life? Will that choice bring about life? Um, look at Leviticus. Uh, actually, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. So if you're on the computer up there, I skipped around before. So do, go to the Deuteronomy passage, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is this great story uh, of the Israelites and like, They're at this kind of epic moment, and God says, like, listen up. Here's the deal. Let me make it really simple for you. He says this in Deuteronomy 30, uh, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands and decrees and laws. And if you could decode that, okay, instead of, like, commands and decrees and laws and regulations, if you could just pursue what God intended for you, I think is what it's saying. 
For I command you, love the Lord, his obedience, keep his commands, decrees, and then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Why? Because that's the way you were supposed to live. That's how God made us to live. Now, on the contrary, if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day, you will certainly be destroyed. And I don't want to say, I don't think this is like God saying, if you do that, I'm about to kill you. I don't think that's what God's saying in the text. I think what's being said in the text is, if you do that, it will lead to death. All kinds of deaths, spiritual, emotional, physical, in all kinds of ways, that's where it goes. So don't do that. Don't do that. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. I love this part. So that you and your children may live and that you may know that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. There's this part in there. It's like, it's not far from you. It's not like it's across the sea. It is like right there, God says. So as we read the book of Judges, we see that God always hears a cry when God, when the people cry out and it's an honest, like, ah, I need you, God. God listens, God moves, God acts. But our choices, they matter, guys. And so as a pastor, I want to encourage you, does that choice lead to life? Does that choice lead to death? Community is where we figure out, like, what does that look like? And, and, and very, very um, infrequently you will see me or hear me say from the front, like, that's sin, don't do it. It's black and white. Because I think, there's, I think that there is right, it's not all relative, there's right and there's wrong, that's not what I'm saying, but there are nuances and ways that we have to engage this, like, here and now as people, and that's what this is about, community. But our choices absolutely matter absolutely matter. And I would maybe just close with this. Has anybody ever played hide-and-seek with a kid before? You ever do that? This one just, <laughs> every time I laugh, and then I'm just like struck with the beauty of this moment. So I'm playing hide-and-go-seek with, I think it was actually my kids early on, and some of them were younger. You know, I'll count to ten. Here's how this works. I will, I'll be the, uh, the hide-and-seek. I'll be the seeker. You're the hiders. So you go and hide, find a spot in the house that you don't think I can find you, and hide, and I will find you. I will come and seek for you. I'll count to ten. Here, ready or not, here I come, right? So you go do this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ready or not, here I come. And I turn around, and the littlest one stands up and says, here I am! <laughs> You're like, no, that's not how the game works. Like, just the other day, on Friday, Lyndon and I were playing Go Fish. It was like the same thing in a different, different color, right? So we're playing Go Fish. You know Go Fish. It's you get five cards. Do you have a five? Yes, I have a five. Thank you. Do you have a six? No, I don't. Go Fish, right? So I, I've got my cards, and i got to get this right. Lyndon says, uh, Dad, tell me if you want a ten. Or tell me you want a ten. And I'm like, I didn't quite understand her. And I, and I said, what? And she goes, Dad, tell me if you want a ten. And then I was like, oh, Lyndon, do you have a 10? Yes, I do! And she hands it over to me. And I'm just like, what? I'm so competitive, right? In that moment, I'm like, you can't win if you keep doing that. I'm going to kill you. Like, you, know, you're not, you don't have a chance. But there is something that happens between that moment, right, and me. That beautiful spirit of, here I am! And you. Because what do we do? 
We hide. We wander. We... I want to suggest that the story of the book of Judges reminds us that we wander. That we wander and that we hide. And that there's something about this that is just beautifully human and that where we live, where we think we have to hide ourselves and not let anybody in and all of that is actually very contrary to what it means to be human. I think that deep, deep down, we all want to be found. The story of Judges for me as I read it is this beautiful reminder that, I mean, how many of you have had an experience where you you were like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. Like God has to be in the midst of that. There's no other explanation for that. And then like a month later, you're going, God, where are you? I can't find you. Like a month, maybe, maybe less sometimes. For these people over and over, it's like in the, and God, you know, there was peace in the land for seven years and then they wandered. Like, there's something about us. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about daughter, you're, you're a son of Adam and a daughter of Eve. There's something about us that while we want to be found and, we, want, and we, we were created to be in relationship with God, we just wander in every sort of way. And the book of Judges, for me, is this beautiful reminder of every single time the people wander. God finds them. They cry out and God is there. And this is a tough one for us sometimes, isn't it? Like we read a story like this and we're like, huh, seems like God's pretty close here. But when I cry out, it's like I hear the echo off the walls. And I recognize, guys, the tension that exists there between the stories that we read in this two-dimensional black-and-white script, this text in our own lives. But I, I trust in a God who reveals God's self in Jesus and in this book. And when God says, if you call on me, I will be there, I believe that's true. And uh, I don't know what that always looks like for us. But as I read the story of Judges, I'm encouraged because there's something about me in that story, right? That's not hard to find myself in this. I remember I was listening to Sufjan Stevens not too uh, a while ago, if you know this artist. He's got a, a song. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible song, actually. Uh, it's, it's terrible content. It's, it's uh, John Wayne Gacy, if you know the story. And it's... Um, it's actually, it's, it's almost like lullabyic, if you can say that. Like the, the melody is very, you know, like calming and like brings you in. And then the, con, you know, the subject matter of the song is just like horrible. And so I was listening to the song and I was just very, very disturbed. I had this like internal, ah, right? I'm listening to the words, but I'm being sucked in like the sirens of the sea. You know, I mean, it's just beautiful. It's haunting. It's beautiful. And then it got to the end of it. And this is what really, like, you know, drove it home for me. There's this line at the end of it, and it says, And in my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets that I have hid. Right? I mean, that bad, when it goes that bad, the possibility of that, I need to look no further than right here. Right? Right? As bad as that is, that is possible in each and every one of us. 
and as good as the most beautiful and like unbelievably transcendent moments that we could have, like the possibility of that is present for each of us. So as I read the book of Judges, I wonder if there isn't somebody here who came this morning who is just like at the end of their rope, like tired of making it happen, tired of trying, tired of not being able to fix it, tired of, and it's just like, ugh, right? Hinani, <laughs> here I am, help. Can I offer the encouragement that, I, that God hears a cry? I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who needs to be reminded that our choices matter, that the ways in which we live our lives and the way that we relate to people and those around us, there are, there are ways that lead to life and there are ways that don't. And as people who are following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus or trying to figure out who this Jesus is, this is, this is the track we need to be about. And I wonder if there's anybody here who has wandered um, and just feels really far from home. And uh, I think the story of Judges, I think many other stories, certainly the prodigal son is one where we find that God is always waiting when we come home. Is always, always waiting. In fact, runs out and you know makes a fool of makes a fool of it, the father of himself in this story, to embrace the one who's come back. And so, I guess as I read this story about the, about judges in Israel, you know, it's like it's thousands of years old, and yet, uh, I think it's pretty close to us and where we live. Um, so I would just leave you with the question of where do you find yourself in this story and what does God say in the midst of that? Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.